Welcome to the Drivable Podcast. I'm Elliot Barrian and over there is Brad Williams. Today we are talking about support coordinators and driving and anything to do around that with MacArthur Community Care and their director, Andy Sharrett. MacArthur Community Care is part of the MacArthur Group, established in 1969 with offices nationwide and they have a huge disability services arm. So I'm really excited to talk about support coordinators. Uh, this is going to be a really big and exciting episode. So Brad, are you ready to get into it? Yeah, absolutely. LA support coordinators make a world of difference. So let's find out all about them. Welcome to the Drive Able podcast, where each episode you get to listen to two of Australia's leading professionals in the area of driving and community mobility for people with disabilities. In each episode, they interview drivers, carers, and industry experts and share the insider's guide to driving with a disability. Here are your hosts, Brad and Ollie. Hi, everyone. I am really excited to get into today's interview. But before we get started, we just wanted to make a quick shout out to the sponsors who make this show possible. Mobility Engineering and Williams OT. This show takes time and money to put together and we are forever grateful for their passion to our industry. Okay, enough of the business. Let's get into the interview. Today we have Andrea or Andy Sharrett, who is the Director of MacArthur Community Care in Adelaide. G'day, Andrea, thanks for joining us. Can we start by asking you to introduce yourself and tell us a little about MacArthur and what you do in, within the disability sector, your position, and I guess how you guys got into all of that, a little bit of an intro. Um, and also, is it better Andrea or Andy? Look, I love the name Andy, so let's go with Andy. Okay, sounds good, Andy. Let's get into it. Tell us a little bit about MacArthur and uh, what you guys are doing there. Well, thanks, Ellie, for the introduction. Um, my name's Andy. Uh, I've been in the disability sector for 36 years now, working closely with people with disabilities. Um, MacArthur uh, is a national organisation that um, supports many lines of business. The disability business was, um, I guess, uh, a business that was built six years ago. Uh, simply due to uh, such a high need in the community for uh, quality service. Um, and I guess MacArthur hold that over 50 years with uh, the quality service that they provide to many lines of business. So what were they doing six, prior to six years ago, MacArthur? Okay, so MacArthur um, was established in uh, 1969 as a recruitment company, and they mm -hmm. were um, providing uh, labour hire to many industries, um, early childhood, um, local government, accounting, um, nursing even, um, so MedStaff, the, the oldest nursing agency here in South Australia. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's many areas about MacArthur. Typically, it is a recruitment company, um, uh, but the disability arm of MacArthur is, uh, I, I guess, a business within a business. Yeah. yeah okay. So what areas uh, in the disability sector and the NDIS sector are you uh, offering? Is it um, disability support or is it support coordination or what other areas are you assisting in the disability sector and NDIS sector? Sure. Well, the beautiful aspect about MacArthur is that they identify people that um, are so passionate about the industry that they work in. And I guess for us, um, my, my background is provision of supports to people mm -hmm. with disabilities. So that is actually working with the person um, to identify all the aspects of their services that are important for them. 
Um, we, we support people with high, high support needs, high complex uh, to people that just require a little bit of social support during the day. And we also provide um, support coordination or specialist support coordination. That's a separate area to the, the in-home support. So the support coordination typically is um, a practitioner or a professional person with industry knowledge, industry background, um, that intimately knows uh, a client's support needs, but also um, knows many other therapists, professionals in the industry that can actually come together to, um, I guess, make the experience for the participant, um, uh, I guess, a lot more of an enhanced experience because they're meeting all of their individual goals. Yeah, that's, um, that's an interesting thing. And I guess... Um... We, we spoke about a little bit offline and, and something that I have um, want to really highlight, I guess, within this, um, this podcast is the concept of the support coordinator um, and kind of dig into what they do and, and how accessible they are for everybody out there. Because mm -hmm. as you just mentioned, um, it, it sort of seems like you can access this uh, service from high needs all the way down to, to even just the basic social sort of stuff. Um, um, oh, I, I, I guess I guess if we look at the background of, of disability, we have come such a long way in um, while we're here now in NDIS uh, setting. But for those that have actually been in the industry for quite a period, we would know or they would know that uh, people have come from a welfare model. So therefore, their, need, their basic needs were just being met. And if there was anything additional uh, that they wanted, they would have to rely on family members to provide those additional services. And goals wasn't really something that we spoke about back then. It was just purely about um, the, the services that the person requires to meet their daily needs, their basic daily needs. So now that the NDIS has come in, we're now talking about goals. So people, uh, people participants are actually now having to think about, well, what is it that I actually want for my life and how can I make that happen? And this is where the support coordinator or the specialist support coordinator comes in. So they sit with the, the participant and they identify um, uh, and they really extract a, pers a person's essence to actually um, see, well, what is it that they actually want for the next one year, two years, three years? And they map the people uh, accordingly to, to, to make that happen. And those, and, and those people that um, specialist support coordinators can draw on are people like occupational therapists, speech therapists, dietitians, um, exercise physiologists. There are so many professionals out there now that a client participant can actually tap into to actualize their goals. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you said that thing about the sort of the old versus the new, the welfare model. Um, we've had a few people on here with sort of that were part of pre-NDIS um, life. And, and um, it's really interesting how different the culture is towards um, disabled people and how it's changing. Um, and like, I just, it, it's almost like it was, like I've, I've met some people, particularly in my part of the world, the engineering that are trying to quote unquote, for lack of a better term, help within the disability sector, but they're kind of like a previous generation and, and um that like they're nice and they're trying to be helpful but it's always like it's on their terms if that makes sense mm -hmm. and that's sort of like the welfare model it's like look this is what we're giving you and you can just deal with it and, and make it fit within your structure but that's all there's available and that's it is what it is um whereas 
I think there's been this huge, like a massive shift um, into like, okay, now what do you want? And who are you as a person all of a sudden? And, and also, and that's actually one huge reason why uh, we've, I guess, um, pushed with this podcast is to really share that whole idea that it's not the OT's decision to tell you what you need. It's not my decision, the supplier or anyone's or your mum and dad or anyone. It's you. You know, you've, you've built that experience through whatever it is your life. However you want to do it, you've got to do it. And this is awesome to have this, um, this power and this complete shift. But I think what I'm seeing is even the community in the end users themselves, the clients, also need to come along with a little bit of that shift because that culture is really stuck within a lot of that community. Absolutely. Um, so- and yeah, look, and that's a really good point, Ali, because there has been a major shift and there has been this notion of be grateful for what you've got. I mean, yeah. we, were, we were seeing people in their 30s go into nursing homes simply because there wasn't adequate funding um, to be able to have, have those, those individuals live in their own home. Um, so there was this there was this capping of funding, um, and if you exceeded that, if your if your family members couldn't step in, well, you're going to have to go into a nursing home, which was totally inappropriate. Yeah. Um, but we have we've come come such a long way. But this whole notion of uh, goal setting is really difficult for some people. Well, yeah, that's so that's why I guess why I wanted to really use that to segue into this concept of this um, support coordinator because, like, as it's not even within the fiber of that community that, hey, you you can have a goal and you can do something with that goal. It's kind of like you've been raised from when you were born, everyone telling you how to think and what you should do and, you know, how you should move and what wheelchair you should use and what part you should use and so on. So so you, I guess you just have to practice even thinking that way. You know, that that's a pretty big shift for a person. And and that's why I really love this idea of the support coordinator because I think it's almost like, it's almost like a life coach in a way, you know, um, uh, to, to start to shift your mind. And, and I guess let's, let's talk a little bit more about that um, and what they do and, and how they work with, um, with the clients and, and helping them sort of develop that goal. So as you said, NDIS is all about the goals. Um, and so this, the support coordinator is, is effectively like helping you figure that out. Well, they're there to actually work with the participant and work side by side to extract the goals. Um, ideally, uh, a support, co- a specialist support coordinator or support coordinator has the industry background, the industry knowledge, and the connections to be able to connect the participant to the various uh, agencies, and whether that's um, you know organisations uh, that provide that do the provision of in-home support, um, whether it's uh, connecting nursing services. Um, occupational therapy. I mean, there's some some uh, participants that are having tendon transfers, so that they can actually, you know, regain a little bit more fine motor skills. Um, and and those participants may want to uh, eventually drive a car. You know, they've been told for so long that they're not going to be able to. But you know, we're, we're actually empowering people now to have a think about what what it is that they're actually really wanting to achieve. And that's where the support coordinator comes in. So they work with the person. They work with their significant others or advocates, family members to really identify those goals. And then they go away and they research. But the beautiful aspect of uh, support coordinators or specialist support coordinators is that it's all about choice and control. And we don't always get along with everybody we meet. Um, yeah. Let's face it, we, you know, the, there are some people that we gravitate to more than others. 
And that's the role of the, the support coordinator is to introduce uh, significant people that will become a part of the participant's life to enable them to and empower them to uh, achieve all of their goals, whatever they may be, whether it's swimming, doing swimming lessons or doing archery or um, horse riding, whatever it may be, um, you know, they're there to explore um, all things possible for the participant. Yeah, that's that, that's really cool. And and in terms of um when it you fit in when you would I guess um what I'm interested in is how does it sort of fit within the the NDIS and when do you access them in terms of payment and so on? Because I guess from what I've learned um through discussing with other people and within our own company, um you you have to I guess apply for NDIS um and then is this sort of like the first thing you would access? <clears throat> Yeah, look, that, that, and that's an interesting question, Ali. Uh, so a participant, if they're eligible for NDIS, they will be met by a planner. And a planner is typically from the NDIS or from uh, other organisations. So that planner is that initial stage. They'll sit with the participant and identify all the areas that um, they need assistance with, whether that's personal care or whether that's meal preparation, medication prompts, or just simply being, you know, um, transferred back to bed at night time. So then the NDIS plan will be built. Now, in that, in that plan, essentially, there's many components to a, a participant's plan. There's, there's a core aspect where the uh, individual services is drawn from. There's goal setting, there's consumables. Um, and yeah, and there's many areas. There's the, there's the support coordination. So the, it's the, the plan is actually broken down into several chunks. Um, and each area has an allocated uh, amount of funds to it. So some plans, uh, some participants' plans may have an allocation of 10 hours over a period of six months or a period of a year. Uh, other plans I've seen, which are very high complex uh, plans, um, have things like 100 hours set aside for that participant. And that is for um, the specialist or the support coordinator to work alongside of that person and do the behind the scenes research um, and just simply work with that person, introduce various um, other organisations to them, and then they step out. And so there's that check-in in process to um, ensure that uh, the person is has met up with the OT, has met up with the, um, the equipment provider, has been introduced to uh, service providers. So it's, it's, it's a gentle checking in process as well. Yeah. But there's some, other, there's some other really complex areas about um, specialist support coordination, and that's exploring housing. So for, for some um, participants, they will have... Um, a component in their plan for specialist disability accommodation. And that would be uh, working alongside of providers that are, um, I guess, essentially providing the bricks and mortar for participants to live in. Yeah. So, and, and I guess that's, why, that's where we see these larger plans because the, the support coordinators or the specialist support coordinators are typically linking them in and showing them potential homes as well. Okay, and then with the with the um, support coordinator in as part of the plan, um, is it automatically does the planner automatically put support coordination for everybody for every participant? 
No, not necessarily, because there's been some people that um, have uh, naturally had disabilities for most of their life. So they're already well connected, but it's for those uh, clients, participants that aren't necessarily well connected, haven't actually thought about their goals or how they're going to meet their goals. And that's where a support coordinator will be then linked in with them. Yeah, we, this we is interesting. I, I was going to ask Brad a question here um, and then maybe you can uh, go forward with what you were going to say, Brad. Um, as an OT, um, sounds like, I guess, from my experience, what um, on, Andy is saying that support coordinators do, often maybe OTs get placed with that job, uh, maybe, um, and they're trying to figure that out based on our discussions. And I'm thinking maybe if OTs knew that this service was out there, it might actually be a good support for OTs as well. What, what do you think about that, Brad? Oh, we love support coordinators. Absolutely love support coordinators. When we get a referral and we're working with a client and we've, we can see that they've got a support coordinator, um, there's more often or not that their goals are actually going to be achieved. We find support coordinators are wonderful with liaising with the NDIS, really back up the client's needs, the client's goals, Mm. and are a real advocate Mm. for the participant and that link into the NDIS. That's, That's where we find support coordinators are just when we when we find uh, gold support coordinators, uh, we love the gold support coordinators. They make a massive difference mm. to the client's outcomes, it, and it's um, the ones that can really advocate and assist with the funding. Because when it comes to driving, there's a there's a lot of hurdles to overcome. When it comes to car modifications, when it comes to even being a passenger in a car, like the photo behind you, Ali. The being a passenger and advocating for why you need to be in a certain position in the car, why you need to be maybe up next to the driver, or why is it important to uh, be in a wheelchair versus not being in a wheelchair? Why do we need this modification versus that modification? The support coordinator can really help advocate for the participant um, and, and assist with all of the hurdles that come with trying to get the funding allocated for that. That's that's where we find the massive gold uh, aspects for this. Absolutely. And, it, and I couldn't agree more with you, Brad. It is such a... Um... Uh, a critical, I see it's a critical component to a person's, um, you know, well-being. Uh, the, spe- uh, the specialist support coordinators and support coordinators within the MacArthur Group have a wealth of uh, experience. There's we we have over there uh, occupational therapy. We have developmental educators. We have social workers. We have a psychologist. So it's it's from all those disciplines, um, and. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I've seen some amazing outcomes for participants and not only are they, uh, are they working with the participant and checking in and making sure that the, the goals are being reached or we're getting close to the goals, what they often do as well is go back in and go back to bat for the participant. So if a review is required, if um, uh, the, the circumstances of the participant has changed and there's a, a review that needs to occur, they will go in and really push for that as well because they're actually working for the participant. 
Yeah. And um, with the bit that I find um, really useful, especially if you've got a goal around driving or, or getting out and about in the community, is those funds aren't allocated to your NDIS budget, your funds uh, at the start. You've got to go and get your assessment and then the assessment produces quotes um, and recommendations and then they need to be allocated to the participants line of funding mm -hmm. and if you've got a plan that's allocated for two or three years as they are tending to do more now mm -hmm. since the start of COVID compared to one-year plan reviews um, then people need to have a change of circumstance review to try and get those funds allocated Andy, do you, do you assist people through that process as a support coordinator? Look, I personally don't because my uh, I, I, I like to stick in my own camp. I mean, I'm, I'm in awe of what the support coordinators do for participants because you're absolutely right. They, they will go out there and they will, um, you know, I guess, order from the um, particular person assessments, functional capacity assessments in order to justify why a person needs to uh, have a house modified or why a person needs to um, have two-to-one assist uh, with transfers. But my, my area typically, Brad, is the provision of in-home support. Mm -hmm. So we, we work with the participant with their plan to make sure that all the areas of their individual needs are covered from personal care to transfers to toileting to uh, medication prompts to meal assistance to community access. So our, our role is quite large as well. Yeah, absolutely. That I mean, this Sorry, is a Brad. podcast about this is a podcast about getting out and about and 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 um, getting out in the community and making sure you can get to appointments. But even you know, as we've heard, getting out to go to McDonald's um, or KFC or go to the beach or whatever it is, that community access is is really important. As uh, the support coordinators for in-home care, where does that fit into, into what you're doing um, as support providers in, in the home? How can that the, be? Yeah, look, the support coordinators will work very closely with the participant to make sure that their provider, whoever that provider is, is actually providing the services that are in the participant's plan. And so it's constantly checking in uh, so that there's no gaps. Um, and I and I feel that you know every participant that you know does require that higher level of support needs to have someone checking in with them because I think I think when we've come from that welfare model, um, some participants are still in that headset of um, uh, if this is the support services that I'm getting here, I'm not going to change providers because who knows what support services I'll get elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So we, there's, there's still some people that are really stuck in that headset. Just be grateful for what I've got. Um, where we're really trying to empower and encourage people to speak up. If yeah. this doesn't feel right, if you know your support worker is half an hour late or they don't turn up one morning, um, and then you call on your friend down the road to, to assist you, it's actually not okay. Yeah. So this is, this is where the support coordinator will work with the participant and extract all that information, check in and ask all the right questions. And I do believe that they are, I guess, essentially uh, significant people that do keep providers on their toes if yeah. the participant doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really like the concept. I mean, it'll work, uh, as you said, you're doing in-home stuff, but it definitely will work um, even with your, you know, the, the transport side of things. One of the things which I was thinking of with what you're um, 
mentioning there and, and also around the welfare stuff is, is that whole piece of um, really understanding that you do have that, that, that inner desire can come out, you know, um, and, and you, you can, and I think going through just from what I'm hearing, going with a support coordinator may significantly cut down your stress and time as well in fighting for this stuff. Like I'm thinking of, for example, one of our first guests, Deidre, to try and convince, you know, NDIS of that, that just a swivel seat was better than a, you know, um, cause she wanted to sit next to her daughter while she went on drives and, and, rather than having her in the boot of the car in a van, mm. it took her two years or a year and a half or something to convince the NDIS that this is what we need. And they just kept saying, no, stick her in the boot type thing. And, mm. and, um, and I mean, we've seen her life now. It's amazing. You know, they've got a phenomenal life traveling all around the country, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars back into the community over many years, whereas they were stuck at home, you know, for 30 years. So, um, so, so it's just interesting because they've got a little bit of it. We've got to go it alone attitude um, and you don't, you know, and that's why I really love this concept. And you, you've got people that know what they're doing and they can, I guess, for lack of lack of the better term, kick the right butts that need to be kicked, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think where we operate from um, at MacArthur, not just in South Australia, but Victoria, New South Wales and Brisbane, um, we really want to support the individual how we would want to be supported ourselves. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not rocket science. It's really quite simple. You know, it's stepping in another's shoes and it's going into bat for that person. <clears throat> I mean, we, we as a provider can't go into bat for a person in terms of, um, you know, requiring additional hours or anything like that, but a support coordinator can. Um, and this is where the industry needs passionate people experienced people, people that have been in the industry for some time um, that will advocate and push for people as they would want for their own loved ones. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's really good. So how, I guess, moving on, how do we, how do we find a support coordinator? What makes a good support coordinator? Any, any tips? Yeah, look, what I think makes a good support uh, coordinator is someone who's been in the industry for a while, but that doesn't always necessarily mean that they're good, but someone who is actually going to sit alongside of, of another and really um, come to understand that person, connect with them um, and, you know, ask all the questions, all the questions that you would want to be asked yourself in order to uh, essentially build this person's um, profile in a way that I'm going to journey with you and I'm going to um, see you achieve your goals every single step of the way. That, I believe, is what a specialist or support coordinator uh, uh, ideally um, is. Uh, someone who can step in another's shoes and, and want for them that they would want for themselves or someone that they love. Where we find these people? Well, the, the, the support planners initially when they're building the plan with um, a client can steer them in the direction. Uh, we can Google support coordination, specialist support coordination or support coordination, just punch it into your browser and uh, there'll be so many that do come up. But your organisations, um, your OTs, uh, your um, other therapists, they can steer you in that direction as well because we have to really remember here we're well and truly connected with each other. And I guess those that have a really high practice um, standard, they will be very connected to uh, like-minded people. 
So I've got a question from, you know, this is coming from a, an occupational therapist background and, uh, and this might help uh, people putting in modifications to cars, the engineers, the, the modifiers and so forth as well. We, we do one-off assessments or we come in and we do a small chunk of their life. It, big outcomes, but we're only seeing them for a, such a small, small amount of time. Is there tips that you can provide providers like occupational therapists or other therapists or car modifiers um, or engineers or whoever else is involved in, in the community uh, access area? But we have lots of OTs listen to this podcast as well. Are there tips that you can provide therapists or these type of people and how to work well with support coordinators? Um. Not necessarily. Uh, I think I think anybody that's in this industry would probably know the tips themselves. Um, so yeah, I, I probably couldn't offer any more information on that, Brad, than what I already have. We're doing a good job then, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's pretty good. So um, I just wanted to clarify one of the first questions around this. If you're if you're in your first stage of meeting the planner. If you're, I guess, a client listening to this, would you be flagging straight away, hey, make sure support coordination is in my plan? Would that be kind of something you really want to make sure more Absolutely. than anything? Because, because if you've got that person, then at least if there's something wrong with the plan, they're going, to be, they're going to be able to identify and help you adjust that. Is that right? Absolutely, Ali. Um, the other aspect that I would probably include there is if you are meeting with your planner, um, really do your absolute best to have someone alongside of you that knows you the best. Yeah, okay. um, Because not always, uh, I guess, you know, many people with uh, living with disability are very proud people and they've had to fight for things. Um, and there's some things that uh, a participant will, will fail to, to um, I guess, convey whether it's uh, out of uh, you know, pride or whether it's embarrassment, but to have someone alongside of them that knows them very well, that can just jump in when uh, there seems to be some things missing, I think that that's really important as well. Yeah, that, that's a really good tip, um, especially to those, I would say really highlight that tip for people that are um, like adults, um, because um, you know, in, in all the interviews that we've done, the children um, or the teenagers and so on, they do really well because they've got mum, you know, or dad, but more than often we celebrate the mums here because they're always, um, they do everything for you. They read the forms, you know, they, they, they know you inside out and, and they can pick up those little things and those people that have those mums or dads supporting them, mm. um, but still shouting out to those mums um, mm. um, is that is, you know, you, we always hear those success stories. So, so, but adults, they don't have that. And, and as you said, you know, you, especially if you've been dealing with this quote unquote crap your whole life and you know I've done it all myself and etc that's just that's that's part of your DNA so it's going to be pretty hard also to swallow that hey I need to have someone there and it's actually you might even feel that it's a form of weakness but I think actually it's a form of strength um, because you're you're coming there with with your community and you're saying hey you can't mess with me I've got I've got a community here you know um, and and we, we're not going to stand up for it we all work together and and these guys know who I am you know um, and so if, if I don't know it they will so and I think that's a huge show of strength more than anything um, I so totally I think- agree I totally agree Ali and you know I love the word community I love the word village because these are the people that are around we wrap around our people to ensure that we actually are really making sure that they get what what they rightly deserve yeah 
with support coordinating for your first planning meeting, so maybe you're new to the area, maybe you've got a young child and you're going for your first planning meeting, or maybe you're later into the NDIS and this is the first time you're looking to get the support from the NDIS. Should we have a support coordinator for our first planning meeting? Is that something that you have to pay for yourself? Can you elaborate on that a little bit for us then? Yeah, generally, well, you wouldn't pay for it yourself. Uh, generally, uh, the first initial meeting is with you, you, the participant, and your planner. And then the support coordination comes in after. So it is, a, I think we touched on your, your point there before, Ali, is it something that they sh uh, participants should be asking for initially uh, at the planning meeting? Absolutely. Um, so we're, we're conveying that message that this is the person that we want um, because these are the goals that I want to achieve. But I think anybody who is about to have a planning meeting, to really sit down with those significant people in your life, um, because we need to be mindful. We haven't, uh, people with, with disabilities haven't always thought about goal setting. So we need to start getting them down before we have our planning meeting so that we're, we're covering everything, so that we, we're not missing anything. In saying that though, if something has been missed, um, that's when the support coordinator, when they come on board, they can go in and bat for that as well. Yeah, so I really like, uh, and I want to keep continuing to highlight this idea of like, um, I guess leaning into your friends and family and community and not just, you know, your mum and dad, but like everybody, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's, I guess I've been through some, you know, um, personal crises myself in, in recent times and you don't realize, but your, your community is always looking out, you know, and, and you're, you, you sometimes feel like you're alone, but then when you go out and talk to them, they're like, yeah, this is what you're like, and this is who you are and so on and so forth. And they've got you back and everyone's looking out for each other, just like you are. And that's just, that's just the standard kind of human nature and community that we're in. So, um, so I think it's just lean into them even for the goals. Like it is one thing which I've realized of late is we're all interconnected, as you said. So even though a goal is yours, your community can help you find those goals, you know, um, because they've been seeing you, you know, more than maybe what you have. So they might go, Hey, you know, um, Brad, you actually look like you, you might want to drive, you know, and I reckon you could, you know, mm -hmm. and, and you might not even thought about that, you know, and then they might say, well, you're always talking about all these great things you want to do and probably you want to get into the car, you know? And so, so that I think having those conversations with those um, community members will help break down a lot of those value barriers and help yourself discover who you are, you know? And I think, I think that's the other aspect of this Ali is, the journey with a person, um, you know, touching on the, 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 the ability to drive. We've had, you know, people with spinal cord injury um, have been told you'll never drive again. And to journey with someone that, you know, two years, three years down the track, you're seeing them transfer into a car, into a vehicle that has been fully modified and off they go in their car. I mean, that's, that's amazing, you know, to see people's goals come to uh, fruition it's incredible. I, you know, this, this to me, um, I feel working in this industry is one of the most privileged positions that a person could ever have. And we are working alongside of people and we're seeing, you know, we're seeing the, the very sad times. We're seeing the distraught times, but we're seeing those times where people are achieving their goals. And to see a person, you know, behind a wheel and drive their vehicle, which they never thought they ever would, is incredible. Um, and it's, it's something that, you know, we take for granted. We just jump in and out of our car. But the majority of, um, I just want to touch on the, the client base that we have, which are people that um, 
here in South Australia, which are people that have actually acquired their disabilities through motor vehicle accidents or um, some risk-taking behaviour or a neurological disorder. Um, when we're journeying with them and when we're seeing them uh, achieve their goals, there is nothing more fulfilling for me. Um, and that's simply not because we're actually doing that. It's the person that's doing that. Um, they're achieving it because they've been empowered. But they've been empowered by a village of people that um, continually tell them, you can, you can, you know, with the right people around you, with the right technology, um, with the right encouragement, um, you can you can achieve many things. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I think that's a good well, place to maybe wrap it up. I think that's, a, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. That was a great way to to go out. It's and time's flown. We've gone over twenty minutes. Sorry, people, if you're trying to listen to this on the way to work and you want to wrap it up, um, we've gone over time again, like we tend to do in most uh, episodes. Um, but before we wind up, we want to ask you uh, one final question, Andy. It's the question that we ask all of our interviewees as we go. But just before we do that, a quick acknowledgement again to our sponsors who make the show possible. Uh, that's uh, Mobility Engineering and Williams OT. Um, as we've learned over this podcast, Andy, cars are so much more than just getting from A to B. Is there something, a memory that you can share about the use of your car, uh, something that you might have done as a family member when you're a kid or something, somewhere where you've been or something that you've used your car for that you'd like to share to, with us? Oh, gosh, you've put me on the spot there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I can't think of one thing, um, Brad. Oh, yeah. So um, maybe you'd like to share something. Oh, well, I've just been to the Flinders Ranges and four-wheel driving and uh, up through the gorges. The car came back absolutely filthy. We've got some amazing uh, country uh, out there in Australia and there's so much to see and do. And yeah, I, I couldn't have done the Flinders Ranges without, without the uh, car to get there. It's amazing scenery out there. So that's, that's my little share. That's soul work. That, that's awesome. And that I guess that's a great way to kind of wrap up really because... Um, if you're if you're thinking about it, um, go there and get yourself mobile and independent. And get out to the Flinders Ranges. Send us some photos. <laughs> so. uh, it's, it's it's so close to Adelaide, really. For five hours, roughly driving uh, to get there. Um, but there's so many lovely stops along the way, and it, it's an amazing, amazing, such an old place. We're talking five five billion years or something like that. Uh, it's it's amazing. There's so much to see and do up there. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So a huge thank you to our guests, uh, Andy from MacArthur Community Care. Um, Andy and the other local teams can be contacted through the website at macarthurcommunitycare.com.au and they are a part of the larger MacArthur group, which has been around for over 50 years. So it's um, wide, wide ranging, um, highly, I guess, uh, experienced company. So um, yeah, if you're out there and needing more information or want to get in touch with Andy, um yeah we'll put the information also in our show notes and in the facebook page and so on and check out all the links um and thanks again andy um all right stick around folks we, when we come back brad and i will give our top three takeaways from this episode and offer our expert analysis thanks a million again. thanks for your time guys no nah, thanks a lot andy 
All right, welcome back. Uh, in this section, we bring our expert analysis and our top three takeaway from the interview that we've just done for this episode. A huge thank you to Andy. Um, this is where Ali and I provide more than our 30 years of joint experience in the industry to help people with disabilities to drive or, in this case, uh, get out and about in the community to be safe and also do it in a meaningful way. Uh, Andy had so many top tips in regards to working with support coordinators. The first number one point that we want to make is get it into your plan. Get, get support coordination into your plan. It, it sounds like um, it's, it's something that we should all be doing if we're on the uh, NDIS. Look, I'll give a, a number one uh, example of my experience. I've got a, a son that's on the NDIS. Um, we've got, uh, he's got parents uh, to do all the fine print reading, do all the support coordination for him. But geez, after that first planning meeting, we had no idea really what we were doing. Um, and we would have really uh, enjoyed the relief that would have come through a good support coordinator. Um, OT here, uh, my wife's a speechy. Uh, we thought we knew what we were doing, but geez, it's a, it's a hard thing to navigate. And I would recommend from my point of personal story, get it into your plan and get support coordination in there. Yeah, and, and really on that first plan as well, as we said, um, because it's really vital to, to, to sort of make sure that you, you get those goals out and, and get the right goals and you have someone sort of um, batting for you and, and, and sort of fighting for you. And one thing I really want to highlight, I guess, if you reflect on all the interviews we've had here, um, you know, the people that are, one of the common issues is people clashing with the NDIS in some way, shape or form, whether it's through their paperwork or through a person or whatever it is, well, Getting this is basically, yep. yeah, this, this helps you um, minimize a lot of that because as Andy said, these guys know the NDIS, they know the ins and outs, that's their job is to help you navigate with the NDIS. So, so it'll just remove a lot of those issues, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of time, you know, and, and, and someone that can understand how to get those goals across. Like for example, as we, as we said, this picture in the background someone sitting in there may just want to sit in the car and stick out and look at a view like, like that, you know, rather than be stuck out the back. So, um, but it might be very hard for them to articulate that, but the support coordinator could really understand and extract that. So, so that's a huge, huge one, um, which I think then we can really segue that into the second learning, which particularly, I guess we want to put that message out there for adults and even for kids that it is okay to ask for help. Um, like Andy yeah. said, take, not just like the support coordinator, yes, is important to be able to ask you for help, um, but also your community. Like, um, as we mentioned, kids often have their parents around. As Brad said, you know, he's the parent doing that with his child and he's doing the advocacy and understands those ins and outs. And um, But even imagine you didn't and um, you didn't know that stuff. So you're just going to be going even more blind, you know, so it's, um, right. it's tough. We have so many clients that come in, uh, Ali, and it's probably the same for you who just get away with the bare minimal, uh, yeah, that just enough to be able to survive. And I think it's a cultural thing that we, we a, an Australian cultural thing where we, we don't really ask for too much help. We go it alone and then hopefully someone will come and, and help us out. And, and, you know, if we give them a six pack, we'll, we'll you know, be able to help ask for a bit of help that way. Yeah. Um, but there's a mental mind shift here uh, as well as part of this about 
whose money it is. I don't think we've discussed this uh, in this area at all, but look, it's, it's a government money. It's, it's government assistance to help you. If you need it to be able to reach your goals, then it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to, to, yeah, you're, if you're going to spend the government's money and you're going to get out and about in the community, you're going to add back to the community by paying your GST on your groceries and, and paying for the GST, you know, paying for your coffees and um, adding back to the community in general. So it's all going to come back into the government uh, anyway. Um, so it's like a circular type of scenario. So don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be no, afraid it's, to ask. It's, it's a huge one, especially um, uh, for the Aussie blokes out there. Um, that's, a, that's a big one. Um, you know, I, I'm very guilty of it myself and I've had Me to too. learn the hard way and I continue getting slapped in my face the hard way that it's okay to ask for help. Um, and so, yeah, look, we've got to recognize that. But um, if you, you ask, for, particularly as we discussed with Andy, um, there's people within your community, like, especially as an adult, you can feel pretty isolated as a disabled adult. Um, and then we can also, you know, um, dig into that isolation and create a more isolated lifestyle. But what you will find out to your surprise is, um, is there's people still paying attention to you, you know, the, the local coffee shop person or, or whoever it is. Um, and so if you have, if you need a question answered, you can ask them Just say, Hey, what do you think about me? And what do you think I should be doing with my life? And so on, or whatever it is, you know, um, mm. whatever. And you, you'd be very surprised how many people are paying attention to you and actually care, you know, and, and, and on that note of what Brad was saying, just being a disabled person and being visible in the community does so much good for our community um, because it, it normalizes the community. Like it's a, a community is one that has everything from all walks of life. So if you're out there and just hanging out at the pub, it's, it's got financial benefit in the long run, massive financial benefit because people are more open-minded, they're accepting, and then they can move much more forward with their lives. Yeah. And I, I love that about what's happened since the NDIS has come on board. Yeah. I, I, I think it's people are, getting what they need so that means they're getting out more and more let's yeah. let's keep it let's keep it rolling that yeah. um let's go into our number three takeaway um if you're going to ask for support co coordinating then make sure that you get someone that's experienced and well connected um we we spoke to andy off air she said that um, there's people coming through uh, uni and TAFE courses and so forth with a, a degree in case management um, and advocating that they can they can do this. But a, a well-connected support coordinator can make a, a world of difference. That's that's what I got from Andy all the way through that that interview. Yeah, and that that's something which is a common theme where we get um, throughout this podcast as well. If you're dealing with an OT, someone who knows the the suppliers, someone who knows the modifiers, because then they can, they've got that network and they're not just trying to figure it out on their own, you know, and you know that they can lean in on that network to find those answers that you need, you know, and that's, that's, that's really a big, big element to, um, to getting that good quality, quality thing. And the one thing she also mentioned was, um, look, you've got to really feel comfortable with these um, support coordinators and it's okay to maybe filter through one or two or even more until you find mm -hmm. the right one. Because at the end of the day, you're sharing 
your most inner intimacies with them, your goals, your desires, you know, and you've got to really feel comfortable opening up in front of someone. It's, and not only that, they'll be coming into your house, you know, and they're going to come into your house and they're going to dig into your heart, you know, and, and find out what is it that you really want to want, you know, and so those kind of conversations, you can't have them with just a stranger that you don't feel comfortable with. Your, your mind and your body is just going to be closed to any new opportunity. So you've got to feel comfortable with them. They've got to feel, make you feel good about yourself and, and really got to have that kind of, empathy piece and that's what um what uh, andy mentioned was that even within macarthur they've got hundreds of these uh, workers and so on and and they advocate themselves to the the people if you don't like them we can sack them and change them because people don't get along and that's normal that, that's how that's how society works yeah look and they she was saying that in someone like macarthur they've got social workers they've got speech pathologists got ot's they've got uh different people from different backgrounds say finding the right fit for you would be a, a really good piece of advice. Our, our last of our top three takeaways. And that winds us up. Um, as we wind up this episode and as we do every week, we want to do a shout out to the sponsors that make this show uh, possible, Mobility Engineering and Williams OT for helping you, uh, for helping us bring you this interview today with Andy. Um, Williams OT is a driver assessment and rehab uh, organization that has all the pieces of the puzzle to assist people with disabilities reach their driving and community goals and mobility engineering is a team of passionate and dedicated uh, people focused on bringing Australia's, Australia's largest range of suitable transport solutions for all walks of life. If you'd like to be a sponsor of this show, make sure that you reach out to us uh, and drop us a line and um, we're more than happy to uh, mention your company um, uh, with these uh, segues in our show. And that's it. As we say in every episode, the advice provided in this podcast is general in nature. If you have any queries about what can work for you uh, and what you can do, make sure that you get in contact with your local OT or mobility dealer and set yourself up for the trial. But for this interview, make sure you put yourself in uh, touch with a really good support coordinator. They could make a world of difference. That's it. Thanks Ali, very thanks much. much. Thanks, Brad. See you next time. Uh, see ya. Thanks for listening to the Drive Able podcast with Brad Williams and Ali Akbarian. If you like what you've heard, make sure you like, rate and subscribe. It really does make a massive difference. If you or anyone you know would like to share a story about driving with a disability or you would like to get in contact, find the show notes or find the resources mentioned in this episode, you can find us on Facebook. Just search at Drive Able Podcast for more information.